Hey, y'all, we want to take a second here to go ahead and give a shout out to our favorite mortgage lender and the official lender of the Hunlifty podcast. That's Casey Burns. He's a mortgage broker with Prime Lending. I bought my house here in Colorado with Casey and I refinanced the property in Tennessee. And I was going to use Casey for that because I had such a great experience. And Casey told me, hey, man, like I'll be straight up with you. I can't. I can't match this other offer. So go with these other guys. Well, I went with those other guys and I regretted it. It was like a three month process for the refi. When I, when I bought my house here in Colorado, it was the easiest transaction for real estate I've ever had in my life. He handles everything. Like he has the heart of an educator, the heart of a teacher. And that's why we recommend him. I've known him for 10 years. I was best friends with his brother in college. I'm still good friends with Casey to this day. And we, we recommend him because of how good he is. So if you want to utilize Casey, give him a call, find out any information. Give him a shout at 919-710-1864, or you can also reach him at email at casey.burns at primelending.com. And also go check out his website, get all of his reviews at www.closewithkc.com. Thanks, y'all. Hey, guys. Welcome into the Hunt, Lift, Eat podcast. This is your co-host, Perry, joined this week by the host, Luke. What's going on, brother? Not much, man. Just glad to kind of take a little breather get back from all the travels. Yeah, for sure. I hear that. I tell you what, man, this heat wave that we're having here, and I'm guessing you are too out there. It's really got me looking forward to the, the cool mornings of fall and deer season. It's right around the corner, man. It's a couple months away. Yeah, it's coming up real quick. I also cannot wait till fall. I thought moving out to Colorado, I was going to get a break from all the heat. And granted, it's a lot drier than Georgia or Tennessee or even North Carolina, Virginia, but Man, it's been like 80, 90 degrees, and that sun here is freaking hot with that extra UV. So I'm 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 with you, man. Can't not wait till those those cool crisp mornings. Yeah, that's that's what I'm really looking forward to right now. I, I would imagine though, and uh, what we're here to talk about today is probably felt felt better up there in Alaska where you were for what ten days, couple weeks. Yeah, I was up there for ten days. Uh, it's actually a lot warmer than I expected it to be. Isn't like the eighty. Degrees, especially up in Fairbanks, yeah. It was a little cooler down south. Uh, and, yeah, man, it was, a, it was a pretty incredible trip. Spent 10 days up there. Was supposed to do some bear hunting. Did a little bit, uh, but I had a couple things go against us. And then we did some fishing down in Valdez on the coast. Went after halibut and some sea bass and had a had a hell of a trip, man. It was awesome. Yeah, it sounds like it. So for, for those out there that are listening, uh, Luke has a buddy. Um that's stationed up there and and uh i know your your wives are are good friends as well so i know y'all have been looking forward to this trip for a long time so um yeah tell us a little bit about how the trip kind of came together and then what your uh kind of what your initial plans were going forward because i know like you said you'd you'd had some things that came up and threw a couple curveballs at you but give our listeners a the introduction here yeah, so I got a buddy from Fort Campbell, uh, Pat King. He actually just came on as a team member with us, which is pretty cool. Great, glad to have him. Awesome having a connection up in Alaska for us. But he uh, he's a military intelligence officer. He was supposed to come on, but he's really busy right now. So we're going to get him on, and uh, we won't really talk about the trip. We'll just talk about his background and just living in Alaska in general. He's had some cool stories so far. Yeah. For his short time up there. Oh yeah, I mean connected with the caribou. I mean he's on the he's on the uh, front page of the website. I mean most of you guys have probably seen him. He's got that that nice bull caribou. That's it's old Patty. They hosted us. We flew in, and then we immediately hit the road, went down, hung out in Denali uh, National Park. I guess there's a draw. Actually, it's like a lottery to be able to drive further into the park 
and not just walk in. So we were able to drive a little bit deeper. Um, gorgeous scenery. I mean, just what you would expect for, for Alaska. And then uh, the girls went back with the Pat and Kelsey's kid, went back north to Fairbanks. And then me and him went south to try to go after Black Bear. Well, we quickly realized, and this was my Tuesday tip this week, uh, we kind of misread the regs when, we were, when I was buying all my stuff. And I needed to buy a locking tag. And so we had to head down to Palmer uh, to go to the DNR office down there to snag up the locking tag, which was an extra 450 bucks, uh, which kind of put a hurting on the old piggy bank there. But finally got that, get up, get to the spot, and we're kind of just like exploring on the fly because we're in a different area than we had initially planned on going. And uh, we're trying to find a spot. I ended up finding a, a spot that seemed promising, stopped there, made camp. So tell me about the, the bear tag situation up there. Because I know you said you can hunt black bears year-round. Is that right? Yeah. So Alaska is very unique in that every region, I think they call them regions or unit per se, has different laws, like almost entirely. And so you got you almost have to have the uh, – I actually got it right here beside me. Uh, but it's like the their, their brochure magazine. It's pretty thick. And – you look it up by unit and then you can read through what you can hunt, what you can't, what the seasons, like every unit has a different like set of seasons and set of rules and regulations. And there's a bunch of like weird caveats and like different things. So as a non-resident is a tag pretty much generally always available if you're willing to pay for it or is it, in, is it region or unit specific or do you, is there some sort of draw? How's, how's that work? So yeah, they have a ton of over the counter tags um, as you can imagine. And so they do have draw only units, a lot of like the really high end um, trophy units for different animals are, are draw only. You got to put in for the lottery, but you can hunt pretty much anything in Alaska that you want to over the counter. However, you either have to be a direct family member of a resident, excuse me, or use an outfitter for certain species like sheep, goat, grizz, and possibly moose. I really can't remember, but I think you can DIY caribou, deer, um, black bear and like a lot of the others, like smaller species and any small game. And so it's, it's definitely a little bit of a different system. It's, it's a bear and you got to kind of no pun intended and you got to learn it. And I wish I kind of known going in that like I needed to download and read that brochure, make sure I knew exactly the unit to help you scout. And then like, you can kind of figure out bear density based on like what's open year round, what's not like that sort of thing. And, uh, there's a lot of them though. And but you, as a non-resident, you have to have a locking tag for every species. And that's what really costs the extra money. And it's like a physically like metal tag that like you seal it. And once it's sealed, you can't undo it. And, uh, and yeah, so you, you get that. And then, but Pat, like as a resident, you've got some crazy benefits. Like it's dirt cheap. Like you can hunt everything. You can kill up like six bears for hardly nothing. Um, I thought it was kind of wild that you can hunt bear year round. Cause in certain units, you can actually hunt them in the den, which I think is primarily just a, like when they're hibernated up, it's primarily just kind of a practice utilized by like either real old school Alaskans or like the natives. I don't understand it a lot. I per personally not sure I'd want to go uh, try to dig a, dig a bear out of a hibernation den, but I guess some folks do. Yeah, that sounds like that could be, get a little, little hairy, a little interesting. I, w I would be curious to, talk to a wildlife biologist because obviously there's certain times of the year where they're in their in their um 
their breeding season and then other times of year where they're actually having the cubs are there are there restrictions on whether you can kill sows versus boars during certain times of the year or because i mean it seems like from a wildlife management perspective it might be um disad or you know not you know, it could have harmful effects on the population obviously if you're going after a sow with cubs with young cubs yeah, so that is something that you cannot do. Uh, is that's like the one like hard and fast stipulation across all units is killing sows with cubs. So just like pretty much anywhere in the lower forty eight, sows with cubs are off limits. Um, but you can kill sows, just not if they have cubs with them. Makes makes uh well, I guess yeah. If, if they don't have cubs with them, I guess it doesn't matter. But I was wondering the other thing I was thinking about is how comfortable do you have to be making the distinction between a sow versus a boar yeah i mean honestly i'm not that experienced with bears um i know there's little things i think the easiest way is a lot of guys try to wait and watch them pee um oh yeah but yeah i don't like i said i don't i've seen a lot of bears um just being back home and then spending a lot of time growing up in east tennessee i got them thick but i definitely haven't spent any time hunting them other than this trip so yeah, so you got up there, and how long were you, were you and Pat out um, for that initial leg of the trip? So, total, we were out for um, a night. It, it's really hard because it, it literally doesn't get dark. So, like, your concept of time gets really skewed because, like, you sleep for a couple hours, but it's still light out, and you're hunting until, like, midnight, 2 o'clock, and, like, you want to hunt bears at night because they're really running from, like, like 2100 to 05 as they're like primo time to find them, but it's, but it doesn't get dark. So it like throws you off. It's weird. But yeah, so we, we hunted probably for about, well, we were out for about two days. We probably hunted for about a day. Uh, we found a good campsite. We spent like during the day scouting, padded off his four wheeler. There's a lot of good trails. So we were able to cover a lot of distance. So we just took turns. I hit some trails, came back, gave him the four wheeler. He did the same. And we just kind of kept handing off looking for good glassing points. And uh, Pat actually found the best spot. So that's where we went up. I started feeling a little nauseous. Uh, we had to run back to town, grab some dinner after we were done glassing in between when we were going to go out and hunt. And after I ate that food, it just was not sitting well. And I actually came back and uh, threw up a little bit. I was like, yeah, whatever. Like we had a couple beers, had some food, maybe just was acid reflux. I don't know. <laughs> well, I got up on the mountain and it just started getting like real bad. And we were glassing and I had to like, we were on this big flat area. Um, and, like, behind us, there was, like, kind of some trails and, like, puddles and shit where you can tell where, like, people had brought off-road vehicles. But it was overlooking, like, the picturesque, like, what you would expect to see at a glass. You know, pockets of, like, open ground, grass with, like, timber, but you could see in the, into a lot of the timber. We spotted, like, we glassed up, like, five or six moose, um, some couple calves. Like, it was really cool. I'd never seen moose in the wild before. So Yeah, that's was, awesome. Was, yeah, it was really cool for me. Uh, didn't see any bears, but like I'm sitting there and just have to like lean over and it's a pretty steep drop going on down. I'm like just yakking my brains out. Damn. And Pat's like, you should, you should back up a little bit, man. <laughs> Cause he's <I'm>, like <laughs> retching like over and I'm about to fall. And, uh, I tried to keep glassing, man. I, I kept glassing for a while. I would glass and then throw up some more. And then it got to the point where I was just dry heaving. So I'd glass and dry heave. And I made it to about, I don't know, probably two in the morning, two thirty, And finally I was just like, that's when I started feeling feverish and I was like, I got to go like try to lay down and get some sleep. And, uh, 
Pat did a little, like we went back, he has a, a camper. So I got in, in there and, uh, I was freezing, even though I shouldn't have, I was in a tw- 20 degree sleeping bag. It wasn't that cold outside. I turned the heater on, like Pat came in and was like, Jesus, <laughs> then I got like crazy hot. So I turned the, the heat off. I felt bad for Pat that night. Cause I was like turning the heat on and off, on and off all night as I was sitting there. And That's then, brutal, uh, man. yeah, it was pretty shitty. And then the next morning we kind of hunted our way out a little bit, um, just glassing as we were leaving and then went back up at this point, I was feeling a, a little better and Oh no shit. <laughs> I was feeling better when we woke up, we stopped at a gas station. I grabbed one of those fair life protein shakes and a body armor hindsight. Dairy might not have been the best choice, but I was thinking like, Oh, it's protein. It's pretty easily digestible. Get something like kind of solid in me. Dude, I puked all over his truck. <laughs> I was like, Damn, hey, man. I was like, hey, dude, can you pull over? But it was the worst timing. It was a two lane bridge, and he's got the camper on the back, so like we couldn't. He couldn't just like slam on the brakes, so we had to get past the bridge. And so I did like the threw up in my mouth and held it, and then I threw up again, like with my hand over my face. And so I shot it all over the door. It was so gross, bro. I was like, <laughs> I can legitimately say I haven't thrown up in a car since I was like six years old. I felt man, terrible, man. Yeah, I, I cleaned the hell out of that, and then Caroline helped clean it even more. I felt horrible, but yeah, rough, yeah, it was not fun. But I kept what I kept saying the whole time to him because he was like, "Man, I, I hate this. I'm so sorry." I was like, "Dude, if you're going to be sick as hell, like this is an awesome place to to do it. Every, you know, throw up, look, see all the scenery." Um, Caroline ended up getting it later when we were camping down in Valdez, and it laid her up for a while. So I think it was – initially I thought it was food poisoning, but I think it was a stomach bug because all the folks in Alaska up in Fairbanks, I guess they had gone through like their friend, friend group. And I don't know if we picked it up in the airport or what, but not fun. No, not fun at all. But like you say, at least, uh, at least you were still still out there and got to see some of the, the scenery. And the fact that you were able to glass up a few moose, it's pretty badass. I would love to see a moose in real life. That would be, that'd be awesome. So, I mean, yeah, it sucks kind of. Put a damper on the bear hunt, but hey, could have been worse. Yeah, it could have been a lot worse. I mean, I wasn't like in the back country, far away from everything, where I was just getting super dehydrated, and it lasted. I was getting to the point where I was like, okay, if if I can't keep anything down in the next twelve hours, I'm gonna actually need to go probably to the ER and get an IV. But I came out of it just in time, and I was a little dehydrated, but it wasn't a big deal. Just pounded some some water and electrolytes, and got back to it, and then. It was right as rain to get down to down south for the fishing trip. So y'all didn't end up seeing any bear those those few days that you were out or a couple of days? No, uh, we didn't see any black bear. A bunch of sign. I saw some scrapes. I saw wolf tracks, which was pretty fucking cool. I didn't see any wolves. Heard, heard a lot of them. Uh, everywhere we stopped to camp, we could hear wolves, um, which was super cool. I really was hoping to, to run into some wolves. I was going to stick a, my bear tag on a wolf if I had, had the shot, um, even though... <laughs> Bear tag's 450 bucks, a wolf tag's 60 but I was still going to do it. Huh. Well, that's yeah. just cool. If it's a cheaper animal, you can put your tag on it. Really? Yeah. yeah. Like any animal? If they're within, like, season. Like, if you can hunt them at that time. Yep. Gotcha. And it's a cheaper animal, you can put the, the tag. So, um, that's pretty cool. That was like when Aaron Snyder killed that wolverine with the trad bow. He had a yeah. goat tag and tagged it with a goat tag. Wow. Yeah. That's fascinating, man. I... Alaska sounds like we got to get up to Alaska at some point. Oh man, I'm I'm trying to go back this fall. I don't think it's going to work out, but I'm doing my damnedest to 
I want to fill this. This bear tag is good till December 31st. So figure I've got it. That's what I was going to ask. How, how long is it good for? And same with Pat. Is he, is he going to try to cash in that? Cause he had a Grizz tag, right? Yeah. Yeah. He's going to try to hunt Grizz as well. I think he's going to uh, go with some buddies caribou hunting and then try to, you know, keep an eye on the carcasses type deal. And then we're going to do the same with black bear. Cause they, they co-mingle a lot through a lot of that, that country you'll see blacks and Grizz. Yeah, so like chronologically, I won't skip ahead to the to the Grizz sighting, but we went down, uh, did the uh, we got a fishing charter down there in Valdez, and went after halibut, rockfish, which are the same thing as sea bass, and also lincod. But the lincod really weren't hitting. But I mean, we caught that was my first saltwater fish was a halibut. It was pretty cool. It was a decent size. It wasn't huge. Uh, there's a picture on the gram of it, but it was it was a lot of fun, man. I hadn't really done a lot of you know saltwater fishing, and I'm kind of hooked think i'll be doing one or two charters a year from here on out yeah you stacked a couple right on top of each other with that one and then florida and it's it's been for what for me that one that we did in florida has been a while and i I was like man i forgot how much fun this is and it's not like we were stacking them up in florida either necessarily it's kind of slow but it's still so much fun being out there and dude i can't imagine that in a place like alaska with with something like halibut that is so different than anything you've ever fished before that had to be pretty cool well just even the drive out of the valdez bay there like or the ride whatever you call it I, I was like taking videos on my phone and when you watch them like it looks like a fucking movie or like an episode of like meat eater or some shit you know like you're just the way the mountains go directly into the ocean is wild it's it's incredible and there's water like random waterfalls just shooting out like from these glaciers just shooting into the ocean like you're just like this is like if this this kind of scenery would be a massive tourist attraction anywhere in the United States, and this is literally the entire coast of Alaska is covered in right. this shit. Right. It's it's pretty unbelievable. Um and yeah, there's so much to do. Like you can like the fishing, like the salmon run was in, we could have hit the salmon. I kinda in hindsight, I kinda wish I had stacked up a salmon charter as well. But I mean that just gives me another excuse to go back up. I mean, it was just it was a blast. And then for the amount, I mean, I came back with 35 pounds of halibut and like kind of the same deal. We didn't have a great day. Um, and so you, we easily could have probably doubled that. And you, you start looking at the money, what halibut costs. I flew it all back. So I didn't have to pay for the shipping or anything. So, and it's pretty affordable. It's only $55 to get it butchered and, and sealed. Um, and honestly, in hindsight, like I think I could do it myself we finished at like 10 30 at night. So there's no way I was doing it myself. I was smoked. We were on the water for 14 hours. Damn man. Yeah. It's kind of the same deal as what happened with us in Florida is like the bite wasn't great. And like our captain was just like, fuck this. We're not going home with this hole. And like, we stopped, we just, he's like, anybody have anywhere to be? And everybody was like, no, like we'll keep going. So it was supposed to be like, uh, it's supposed to be a 12 hour charter. And we ended up rolling for, for 14. So caught a few more. Pat brought in that huge bruiser there at the end. How far out did y'all go? Uh, I'm not exactly sure the distance because like we like the way Valdez is pretty deep in like a bay. And so we went, but we were, we were driving on the boat for like two and a half hours to get to where we started fishing. So what do those halibut feel like as you're, you know, once you got them hooked, do they fight? Is it like dead weight? Cause just of the shape. I mean, what's it, what's it comparable they hit- to? they hit pretty good and they kind of do like a little double hit and that's how you know it's a halibut and like you'll feel them sometimes at first and they'll actually lay on the bait um because they, they, look, they look like a giant flounder for anybody that doesn't know what a halibut looks like 
um, their eyes. I don't, I guess they rotate. I'm actually not sure if they're doing the night migrations or whatever, but they lay flat on the bottom. They've got white bellies, brown speckled tops, and both their eyes are on top of the, the fish. Um, and so they'll lay on the bait. And so you'll feel that like hit. And then when they take it, they kind of like gobble it. And so there's like two hits and that's when you know to start hauling ass and reeling. Um, and then you want to kind of go like slow, but quick. And then you, you got to fight them a little bit, but it's also like just reeling in kind of feels like reeling in like a big giant barn door. Um, cause they're flat and they're wide and they're just kind of like pulling through the, the water. A lot, of, a lot of surface area. Yeah. But they do fight some, it's not a crazy fight, but it's pretty good. It, it was, it's definitely, they're fun to catch. They're unique. Um, and then the, the rockfish, the sea bass, like they hit pretty good too. And they've got a pretty good fight. Um, caught a couple of those and I'm excited to eat those. I've got a little bit of, little bit of bass meat. So. Yeah. And what was the third one you mentioned? I'd never heard of that one, or at least I don't think I had. Lincod. Um, we didn't catch any, so I don't know shit about them, but I guess it's like, they're like a type of cod, uh, really popular people like them it's just like that white fish you know i think pretty yeah. mild tasting yeah um, but but yeah i definitely think i will do you know time permitting uh try to do at least one fishing charter in alaska every year uh, it's a lot of fun it's funny because as i was flying back home the other day in the atlanta airport uh we had a little delay with our flights so we were all just kind of milling around there and there were a couple of uh, older guys and uh, struck up a little conversation. He he saw my uh, my shirt, the new shirt you gave me, the, the eat what you kill shirt. And he was like, eat what you kill, huh? He's like, we're going to we're going to go try to eat what we catch. I was like, oh, yeah, what do you what are you going after? He's like, well, we're going up to Alaska to try to go get him some salmon. I was like, man, that's badass. I was like, I was like, uh, no guy that just got back from Alaska. I was like, we were just talking about going up there for for a salmon run. And he said the same thing. They were going to go, um, go try to get on a, a salmon run and then go try to hit something else. I can't remember what he said, but he was like, man, he was like, it's a, it's a blast this time of year with the fishing. Yeah. I mean, it, it really is. I, I kind of regret not lining up a charter for salmon, but just with the, honestly, in hindsight, I should have not bought the bear tag and just lined up a salmon and just focused on fishing, um, without, but you know, whatever. Gave me an excuse to go sit out in the, on the side of the mountain and glass up some moose. Yeah. No, hell yeah. That's not a, that's not a waste at all. So what would you say if, um, if you were going to knowing what you know now, if you were going to try to go fill your bear tag, like I know y'all didn't have a ton of opportunity to, to learn, but what would you do differently other than try not to catch a stomach bug? Well, a couple of things. One, we were a little late probably for the best time to hunt bear. I think honestly, in hindsight, I would go in May to early June and I would rent a boat and then skirt the coast. I think in down South, I think we talked to our, actually our charter captain about that. And, uh, he quoted us some pretty reasonable prices. Um, and surprisingly they literally just like give you the boat which I think is silly because I don't have shit for boating experience, but Hey, we'll figure it out. And, uh, wow. That seems kind of crazy. Yeah. And so, um, I'm sure he does something. Yeah. Uh, keep a credit card on file. Um, <laughs> make you sign a waiver. Yeah. For like an $80,000 boat. Yeah. But yeah, I think that would be sweet. Uh, 
because like we were talking to him and he was like, yeah, dude, you can, you guys can literally just sleep a couple hours and then like hit the salmon, hit like fish while you're not, or even like looking for bears, fishing, looking for bears, fishing, spot the bears, jump on the Zodiac. So you can't shoot them from the water, but then you would like Zodiac down to like the next other side of the next ridge and then like move up, come down, try to get a shot on one. I think that'd be a lot of fun. I think it'd be really high success because you can just cover so much ground along the coast and, you know, a short amount of time. Uh, I think that would is going to be the next way I chase bears outside of this season. Obviously in the winter, when I go back, I won't be able to do that. The other thing is just, you know, picking a spot and knowing what you're like. One, obviously the lessons learned on the tags and making sure all that was squared away. And then two is really doing a lot of a better job of e-scouting, picking our spots, having our locations. Um, I'm just kind of, yeah, we just didn't really know what we were going to do. We're kind of bouncing around a lot, which, which I think is, is not ideal. Cause like it was Pat's first time going down South too. He'd primarily been doing his scouting up uh, outside of Fairbanks near where he lives. And so we didn't really exactly have an attack plan. And uh, next time I'll definitely have a better plan when I go up there and I'll understand like the units and everything better and how to like look and do my research. Uh, because and that's really goes with any hunt is doing that e-scouting and then having your primary alternate and like kind of contingent plan of the places you want to hit, uh, get up there, look for sign. Like once we started seeing sign, like that was the spot we should have, you know, stayed up there. But we also just, it's hard when it's a 10 day trip, you've got your wife, they've got a kid, the wives want to spend a lot of time together. You know, it's conflicting interest, right? So like, I think next time I go, it's going to be like, I'm going to hunt or I'm going to fish. And then, like, on the tail end, it's like, okay, I can go do this and spend time. But, like, I'm going to have a blocked off. And what's what I say to everybody is, like, you really need a minimum of four days to hunt. But I really think it's really five or more because it's going to take you almost two days to really figure out what's going on in your area. And then from there, now you've got three days to hunt versus getting up there, trying to hunt in three days into a new area. If this is an area you scouted intensely, like, sure – rolling in and hunting for two days is probably pretty feasible. But if it's a new area, it's really hard. You're just hoping to get lucky is really what it comes down to. Yeah. If you've scouted it on the ground or, you know, in person, but if you've done a ton of e-scouting, I mean, I'm all for the e-scouting and I mean, hell, I love looking at maps, but you can do all of that you want. And it's not the same, especially in, in a terrain like that. And a, at a system that you're, that you've never seen before. Like I imagine there's a pretty big difference and a lot of things that you were expecting just from what you saw on a computer screen to once you actually got there and saw with your own two eyes. It is so thick, man. And the imagery does not tell the full story on how thick it is. It'll look like it opens up, but it's basically the trees are opening up and it's all this light brush, but the it's, I don't even know what they are, but it's super tight. It's hard to move through. It's kind of shitty because you know there might be grizz out there and like you don't want to be that close with no standoff. Like if I have standoff, not like don't get me wrong, I'm, I'm concerned about grizz always, but like if I have some standoff, you can have, then at least react. If you're moving in this really thick shit, like uh, you could end up, you know, being two feet from a grizz and not even know it. If they're not making any noise. Yeah, have one right there in your lap and then surprise it, it surprise you. That's kind of worst case scenario right there. Yeah, hundred percent. I honestly expected to be a little more concerned, um, like having it in the back of my mind always, and I didn't. And I think that's more out of like sheer ignorance and stupidity. Uh, it didn't really bother me that much, other than like from a rational perspective. I kind of really thought I would be thinking about it more. 
I wonder if that would have been the case had y'all been sleeping out in the in the bush, the woods, instead of having the uh, the luxury of Pat's camper. That's yeah, like I, mean, I was thinking about. If we were sleeping on the ground, maybe. Um, I mean, I don't know. So, I mean, it's a good segue into our last night after we le- uh, left Valdez. We were, did some boondocking, and we picked a spot on the way down uh, that we thought would be good glassing for bear. And so that's where we stopped, set up camp, built a fire, um, really just for the mosquitoes because it was like 80 degrees. And we're glassing from camp, and I'd actually gone in to try to get the, the little man to wind down a little bit and help Pat and Kelsey have a break. And I was like laying with him in the camper, um, like reading him a book, and that like busts in and immediately, you know, gets the kid all wound up. So I was pissed. But but then he's like, dude, Grizz. And I was like, mm, you sure? <laughs> I come out of the camper, and Caroline actually spotted it. And then Pat got on it. I, I grabbed my binos. I had the tripod set up, and I got on him, and he was running down the ridge about two miles up from us. And uh, wow. And I was like, damn, man. Like it was. I mean, it's kind of hard to tell, but like I was pretty sure by the way it was moving, and it was big that it was a grizzly, and so was Pat. Yeah. So. We jumped, we grabbed, this is another good lesson learned. We kind of rushed a little bit to failure. Uh, I was wearing like, you know, a plaid checkered shirt, like threw my bino harness, made sure I had my tags and shit, grabbed my rifle, grabbed my pistol, threw it on my chest, my chest holster, which is made by Northwest uh, Retention Systems. Go check them out. Tim Anderson, good buddy, HLE team member, makes kick-ass holsters. little plug there for him. But, uh, through the Glock in my chest rig and like we started jumping the four wheeler and took off up this trail. This is another thing back to scouting. We should have been looking. I didn't download the map for where we stopped and I should have, cause I could have been pre scouting like attack points and routes and trails and shit. And I didn't. And so we ran up a trail actually ran through somebody's campsite. They were cool. They were like, let us through. I was like, Hey, we just saw a bear figure. We should let them know and tore up. But we ended up getting into some real thick shit and had to come back down parked and then jumped on this Creek pretty wide Creek kind of bunch of rock. Um, you can tell when the glacier melts that this thing's just roaring. Uh, it was a lot smaller this time. Uh, we were able to kind of jump back and forth and cross, but we went up about two miles and probably climbed. I don't know. It was a pretty gradual, easy climb compared to what I'm used to in, uh, in Colorado for a lot of my shit, but we probably climbed a thousand, 1200 feet over two miles. And, uh, Got up top, and dude, once you got up there, you really realized how big that fucking bear was when you're standing like next to the boulder that he was. You're like that seemed like a small boulder <laughs> when he was there. Damn. And uh, we didn't, we couldn't find him again. Didn't see any sign. Um, but it was really cool to just to kind of get moving, and that was like the most exercise I got the whole trip. So it was, it was good. I felt good. I was surprised myself. I think being living at altitude because Alaska is a lot lower than you think it is, uh, which makes sense because of the water. But like right. the mountains seem bigger. And higher than they are because the distance is greater. You'll be looking at a mountain that's like, you know, 7,000 feet, but you're sitting at 500 feet. Or you're looking at a mountain, like there's very few that are over, you know, 10,000. There's there's some, but not that many. I mean, you know, the biggest mountain in the United States is there, but um, what it's Denali, right? Yeah, McKinley Denali, um, which I think that's like 23,000, something like that. Yeah, I don't know. It's hard to see because it – it's foggy a lot, but I got to see it. And like, it is a dominant train feature. Like you see that thing. You're like, Oh yeah, that's Denali. It's a big fucking mountain. <laughs> and there's a couple big mountains, but for the most part, they just seem bigger because, or to seem higher because you're so much lower. Uh, so right. that was interesting. So I, I felt pretty good with my cardio for being a, a chubby guy. I was expecting to kind of be sucking wind, but 
I didn't. Which is good. Bodes well for elk hunting. Yeah, for sure. So how big do you think that grizz was? I mean, any any estimate was it? I think it was a, 800. Dude, 000? I don't even know what they're I mean, I mean, big. I mean, it was a big boar. Um, really? Yeah, I think it was definitely a boar. It was alone. It was hauling, had the big, I mean, I, I'm not, I don't know. It just, to my dumbass from the lower 48, that seemed like a fucking big ass boar. <laughs> That's cool, man. That's badass. It, it was kind of weird, like deciding that we were going to go after that thing, you know? Yeah. <laughs> So, yep, shit's about to get real. First uh, first bear sighting of the trip towards the end. Well, that was the thing. Hold on one second. Sorry, I kicked the cables that unplugged on my shit. So, and, I mean, Pat had a good point. I don't really know the game laws on this, but Pat was like, all right, man, like, I'm going to shoot. And then, like, if that thing doesn't drop, like, you shoot. And I was like, I don't I mean, it makes sense, right? Like, yeah, it makes sense, but... You know, and I, I mean, fuck it, I was going to do it because I agree with it, but I, I don't know what the law on that is. Like, because, like, once you shoot that thing, if it doesn't die, some bitch is probably going to come after you. Yeah, no kidding. What were y'all hunting with? 30 odd six and a 270. Yeah. Hmm. Um, nothing crazy. I mean, you know, but I think more than enough for, for a Grizz. The yeah. Well played shot, but... Just thinking, also, how fa- yeah, how fast can he... Uh... Bolt action, I'm assuming. How, how fast can he rack another one and, and get back on it if he needed a follow-up shot? Well, that's where, I mean, once he shoots, I mean, it's his bear. He's going to tag it. Like, I'm just was there for support, man. I'm not yeah. trying to die either. <laughs> um, but, yeah, it was, it was cool, man. It was really cool to see a grizz. And then what was wild is we got back to camp, and as we were getting ready, kind of cleaning up, getting ready for bed, uh, at this point it was damn near 3 in the morning. And uh, the wolves started to get a little bit darker, not much, because we were further south. It get a little bit darker, and the wolves started going like right near where we just were. Wow! Yeah, that's cool. I had to be a little eerie. Yeah, it was, but it was also sick. I was just like, man, like I really wanna, really wanna see wolves, dude. As much as I love hearing coyotes around here, I think that that's, that has to be awesome to be up there and hear those things get to get to talking to each other that's, yeah, that's definitely on my bucket list they're a little more elegant than the coyotes they don't do the yapping and yeah they don't really and, yak and cackle and do like the yip and all that they just right. like are just it's it's cool man I, I always loved wolves as a kid like wolves are my favorite animal i always, always used to oh, yeah. do all my biology projects on wolves and shit so i was really hoping to see one uh, i gotta go up there more so i can try to see them have some interaction yeah yeah, all this talk's got me thinking that we need to start start planning an over-the-counter trip to get after some caribou here before too long. I mean, it doesn't sound like it's all that cost prohibitive. And golly, with Pat up there, I mean, it's awesome that we have have a resource like him. And with him being a, a team member now, um, I'd be I'd be all about trying to schedule a trip to get up that way and get after some caribou or bear or I mean, hell, whatever. But Definitely do some some fishing. Uh, sounds like a blast. Yeah, it was crazy to me. It was the plane tickets weren't even that expensive. I think we paid right. 400, 400 bucks each, um, which is about what I paid to fly to Destin. So, like, you, you know, like, what the hell? Might as well uh, take advantage of it, especially if the airfare is cheap. Buy it far. I'm mean, I, I bought them pretty far in advance, but just buy them and, and line the trips up. And the cool thing is you can hunt 
caribou from August to December, obviously the colder it gets, the, the harder it is, but you're, you're kind of going after the resident herds and not the 40 mile. But honestly, based on everything I've learned, which I'll beat is not very much, I don't have a whole lot of interest in going after the 40 mile herd um, outside of maybe just being able to see it. And if you're already up there watching it and seeing it, like you might want to shoot one. But I think it gets pretty stupid with a lot of the, the fucking dumbasses that roll up there and they're like trying to shoot them off the back of four wheelers and they're like chasing them and just slinging rounds into the into the herd and stuff. And like, unfortunately, it sounds like some of the worst culprits are guys stationed at Wainwright, you know, and they're just like army really? dudes that run up there. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure it's locals too, but I've heard a lot of horror stories about soldiers going up there, which is really disappointing to hear. But dude, it doesn't surprise me at all. That was exactly what was going on during my antelope hunt. And like right. I said, I th- you know, some of those guys had AR-10s. Like, I'm pretty sure those are fucking army guys that are carrying way too much gun for what they're trying to do. And, you know, that's one of the reasons why I, I like this podcast is I want to try to message against that shit. We have a lot of soldiers that listen. Like, just because you're a soldier doesn't mean you're a good hunter. <laughs> I think that, like, that right. kind of gets misconstrued sometimes. And, you know, I think ethics and, like, you're not – it's not just about the kill. It's about how you do it as well. And – I don't have a whole lot of desire just to sling shots at fucking, you know, 40,000 fucking caribou. No, fuck no. And uh, I mean, there's, uh, there's really no excuse for that, but I know for me, dude, if I'm going to buy a plane ticket, fly from North Carolina, go up to Alaska, spend the time and the effort and do a caribou hunt. Like, yeah, I, I don't really want any part of that. And if that's the scene that's going on with that 40 mile herd, it doesn't sound all that intriguing to me. It's not, it's not the experience I'm after. I don't think it's the right message for anyone to send and yeah I, i'm with you it's, i doesn't sound appealing to me one bit and i'm sure and i'm not trying to blanket everybody right there's there's guys and there's guys stationed at win right that are probably phenomenal hunters that do everything the right way just like there's you know folks everywhere that do that and there's guys that go up and hit, hit the 40 mile herd that probably park walk in and, and go after it but there's a lot of resident herds as well um i didn't realize how far south down south they were um Pat had actually seen a caribou where we were glassing and saw the moose prior to like when he was like scouting out the spot. So you can kind of hunt them a little bit like elk as far. I mean, not really the tactics aren't the same, but they live in the vegetation and shit kind of like elk and they'll move up. They'll come down to, to feed and drink and they'll move back up to higher elevations. And then like up North, they've got even more of the residents. It's what Pat killed one of the resident bulls. And so it is cool. Um, that's more, I think what I want to do, do the winter hunt where you're actually like trying to get on them, tracking them in the snow and trying to find them and killing them that way. That's what I'm going to try to do this year. If it lines up with work, not sure it's going to, but I hope it does. How far was Pat's bull from where y'all were? Um, I think it's like a six hour drive. Hmm. Not too bad. Maybe, maybe 10, six to 10, somewhere in there, depending on how far North he was. Yeah, uh, some, somewhere in there. I mean, and it's weird in Alaska, like six hours isn't that far. Right. You know, because like there's nothing and it's like you're on the highway and there's granted 4th of July weekend. It was a little crowded, but there's only like three or four main highways in the whole fucking state. <laughs> like it's weird. Well, yeah. Yeah. Six hour drive. That'd be, that'd be no problem. Yeah, man. Like you can. Excuse me. You can rent a camper. Everybody up there has campers and RVs. Like every really? fucking house, it's wild. Yeah, yeah. It's like the best way to do it. How bad it like those mosquitoes are and everything, dude. I don't. I don't know. The older I get, the less I feel the need that I need to always do the most hardcore tough hunts. If I can be a little bit comfortable and that keeps me 
you know, on the mountain longer. I'm, I'm all about it. Well, the guy I work with, he's been to Alaska a couple, well, a few times during the summer doing a, doing various mission work. But every time he, he gets back, he's always t- talking about how bad the mosquitoes are. And like, hell, I know they can be bad in Colorado and shit. They can be bad where I am, where we work a lot in Eastern North Carolina, but those Alaska mosquitoes from what he says this time of year, are just on a different level. So if you're, yeah, if you're doing a, a fishing trip or, um, you know, even the bear thing, I, I, I see the appeal of the camper for sure. I don't know that, that, uh, I would do it every time I go to Alaska. I'm hoping to not just make one or two trips, but I can see the appeal of renting one for, for some of those journeys this time of year. Yeah, man. I, honestly, it's probably the best bet just in general for tra- traveling around Alaska because it takes so long to get everywhere. Like not having to set up tent camp every single time, having some of the amenities, it's it, it makes it a lot easier to travel around. Um, but definitely not a necessity. You don't you don't need one. Uh, the winds aren't too bad. It's not like fucking Wyoming where you kind of need one just so your tent doesn't blow down. It'll be interesting to see if you do make it back up this winter. How how different things are is particularly for in the same region <laughs> winter winter versus summer i'd imagine it's gonna be a pretty pretty big difference for someone like you even i mean you've spent your fair amount of time in the field and harsh conditions but that's gonna be a, a big 180 yeah it'll be uh i mean i don't know like don't even like it gets cold 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 in fairbanks but i'm not gonna be there when it's getting that cold like if i go it'll probably be uh, November. And so that, there'll be snow, but it's not going to be like negative 50. It'll probably be fairly comparable to like, honestly, uh, Colorado, we got snow before Alaska did last year at Fairbanks. So we got it earlier. Uh, granted ours melted and they get it and never melts, but, um, it gets pretty, I mean, it's negative 15 up here and then like negative, I don't think 23 with the wind chill at one point. So like, I'm, I'm getting a little bit more used to that really fucking frigid winds, and cold, but negative 50 is another fucking story. That is crazy. Yeah. I don't have the, I don't have the gear for that right now. My ass would be frozen solid. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's really the good thing about building out my kit for out here is like, I, I don't really need anything else. Maybe, maybe another, I probably can upgrade my base layers. Uh, cause right now I don't have the, the highest end, but other than that, my kit's pretty, pretty well built out. Yeah, I'll have to get up with you at whatever point. Um, I'll start trying to build out some of my stuff, figure out some of the different um, layering systems and different uh, different gear choices that you've used. I know we've talked a little bit about doing that, but um, I guess Pat's probably, does he have it pretty dialed in for his system up there? Uh, I think he's getting there. I don't think... I don't think he's done a lot of testing yet for the real backcountry type shit. I know right. he's going with some folks on a goat hunt, potentially going in, in August, and he's been trying to flesh his stuff out. Um, what I was just trying to really message to him is like, dude, make sure you, you test that shit out prior to going up there because that's rough he, country up there, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it, it is rough country. Um, surprised at how low the elevation is. Uh, he said he's going to be probably hunting around 7,000 feet, which was crazy to me because I live at 6,000 feet and I was hunting at 11,000 feet last right. year. But uh, I really, I guess it's just, I don't know. I, just sheer. Yeah. I mean, it is rocky, but I just expected goats to be 
higher than that. Like, I, I don't know. I, I guess it's just based on the terrain and not the elevation. Right. Um, kind of surprising because the goats here are all like, there's goats at like 14,000 feet in Colorado. Right. Um, Car- Caroline saw them when she was doing a 14er at the top. It's kind of wild. I haven't seen them yet, but, um, but yeah, man, like you definitely got to be, it doesn't matter. Like in Alaska, it rains so much more than Colorado. That's like the real concern is how fast you can get wet. And even if it's not snowing and it's 40 degrees, once you're wet, like you're, you're hypothermic in, in an hour. And so you, you've got to be really concerned and, and make sure you've got quick drying kit, know how you're building your layering systems and being very deliberate. And like, I think Pat's on the right track, definitely, but he's just got to, just got to test it out and then like purposely get yourself in shitty situations, honestly, on like day trips and scouting trips and that sort of thing. And that's what I did last year. And it really paid off when I was up on the mountain for real, when it was getting colder because I had that shit kind of dialed in and going to do the same this year as well. Problem is I'm kind of fucked with scouting in some ways because as it gets closer, like I got (laughs) the baby's going to be due like at the same time I'm going to be trying to do my scouting trips. I'm really not going to be able to go up on the mountain. Um, So yeah, I got to figure out how I'm going to kind of run all that. Yeah. Pick that one shittiest day. When uh when Caroline's gonna want to be home with the kid anyway, not doing anything, and that weather comes in, say, hey, I'm gonna go test out some some equipment for the day, get back in <laughs> yeah. ten hours. Yeah, no joke. Yeah, I got some new stuff that I do want to kind of run through the gamut. Um, I need to get out and run my saddle. I haven't done set up my saddle yet, so I'm behind on that. I'll probably do that here shortly. Once I first priority is getting my bow and my arrows freaking finished. That's been a pain in the ass um that's what i get for deciding to do it all myself yeah. but that's going to be a priority for this weekend is to try to get my arrows built and then get my bow tuned and i do need to pick your brain a little bit on uh i've never used the adjustable sight before so get any tricks from when you zeroed in your tapes uh so i gotta watch a couple youtube videos as well i'm sure it's easy but if your dumbass can do it i can do it yeah it's i mean i'm i'm no expert i've done it once i did it last year and that's basically what I did is watched a whole whole bunch of YouTube videos, just like everything else. There's a million different videos out there showing. And for for that, I don't remember what kind of optic you said you had, but I'm sure there's a specific, a ton of videos for that specific model. It's not yeah, that they're, complicated. They're yeah, it's a pretty pretty popular site. I bought the, I went with the uh, Fast Eddie, or excuse me, the Spot Hog Fast Eddie XL dual pin. So it's got it's an adjustable, but it's got dual pins stacked on top of each other, which I thought would be very beneficial for whitetail hunting. Have one at twenty, one at thirty, because most of our shots, in, you know, in Virginia are going to be no real, not much further than thirty. Yeah. And then if it's at forty, hopefully at forty, I'll have enough time to actually adjust the dial. If it's that far out, I'll be able to see and react. Um, but yeah, I'm I'm excited, man. Uh, the season's coming up quick. It seems like there's so much to do, and then it's just like. So much to do. I've been really stoked to see all the trail cam pictures. Having those cellular cams out there has been awesome that you put out at Peach Bottom. Yeah, it has, man. It's been a it's been kind of a game changer, and I'm I'm stoked to get out there. I mean, we've cast this year. We've got the biggest net with trail cams that we've than we've ever had, and I'm excited to get back up there and start pulling some cards in the next couple of weeks. Um, maybe maybe a few weeks. I want to give give this first set a good good long while. And then start doing some real good inventory as we move into the fall. Cause hell, we're midway through July as we record this now. Archery opener for North Carolina is two months away, and for Virginia, it's just another couple weeks after that. So it's gonna be here before we know it. I mean, hell, all spring it felt like we we're 
I know you were talking about looking forward to this Alaska trip and we were talking about looking forward to the Florida trip shit's behind us now. And now it's looking forward to deer season. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, it's all flying up. And then same with that, that kid that's on the way. It's like, I blinked and it's like, Oh, you got like a month. <laughs> that's the way crazy. it is, man. Yeah. I felt like it was just the other day. She was telling me she was pregnant and I was sitting there speechless like an idiot. So, um, it's going to be got a lot, a lot, a lot of big changes coming up down the, down the pipe here. So it should be good. I'm excited. A lot of new experiences too. What, uh, what hunts are you trying to line up this year? So, well, as you know, uh, I put in for the Wyoming hunt that I know you and a couple of the guys are going on just to try to get on a, uh, a, a doe, a doe tag for the, for the antelope. Um, was unsuccessful on that, which was kind of a bummer, um, was also unsuccessful on the Idaho draw that I put in for, but I'm hoping to still make it out to Idaho with Evan and him and I are going to try to go. I've got a lot of balls up in the air in terms of working out the logistics between my work, my wife's work, and then the kids, but it's looking like Idaho is going to, going to hopefully be a go, um, so that's exciting. That's been, that's definitely been kind of at the top of my priority list as far as goals wise. And then maybe, maybe an Ohio whitetail hunt with a buddy. Um, I've got to reach out to him about that and see, see how that's looking. That would be, that would be dope. My plan is to get a, a camper shell for my pickup. And that way I can start to do more of this mobile public land stuff. Something that you and I've talked about, but dude, the, the thought of having now the saddle and, having the bow be able to go get on earth, you know, early season and have archery for, for late season States that, that have a muzzle loader, just roll with a mobile setup and, uh, and go camp out of the pickup. Sounds like a lot of fun. I'm kind of at a different point where you are now where my kids, they're not old, obviously they're still young, but they're starting to get to be old enough to where we can, if I work out some, some childcare, I can take off and hit the road for a few days. So, yeah, definitely North Carolina, Virginia, obviously. Um, going to hit those two states as hard as I can. And then we'll see if anything else pops up in the meantime. Might have a line on a Sandhill Crane hunt down in Texas, which would be dope. And, hell, maybe we try to go see Caleb while we're down there. That'd be cool, too. Yeah, absolutely, man. I'm, I'm going to do Antelope in Colorado with you. I think we're going to try to get our asses kicked with our bows over the counter. And, uh, yeah, hell, I forgot about that. Yeah. And then, the first uh, one. yep, that'll be in September when you yep. come down, the, the ladies can play with the baby and we'll, we'll sneak out for a couple of day trips. I got some spots picked out for us. I'll try to do some scouting. Actually, a couple of those will be easy to scout. Cause they're, they're, like I said, day trips and, uh, send me those places. Cause I'd like to, I'd like to do a little scout myself. Obviously I, I don't know as much of what I'm looking for. But I'd like to start doing a little homework and try to get familiar with it from the from the desktop. So send me send me what you got because that'd be that'd be cool. Yeah, I'll send you the Onyx uh, pens. The, the problem with antelope with that though is like from imagery, you look like you're looking at a flat field. Um, it's real rolling, right. kind of micro terrain, and it's really open, just sage flats mostly. And so, I mean, you can look for the water and try to hunt them. You know, you know they're going to hit the water. But during the season, they start hitting the water a lot more at night. But 
with us doing archery, it's going to be earlier. There's going to be less pressure. It's not going to be the orange army out there. So hopefully the problem is going to be us getting close. So I'm going to try to get those uh, ultimate predator shields for us. Now we can try to stock up on them with and, and play around. And I'm hoping to get out at least a couple of times before you get in there. Uh, ideally, I could pop one and then I could just focus on trying to get you one versus trying to fill my own tag. And then make I want to try to learn some lessons before you get there. So we're not just fumble fucking blind leading the blind on trying to archery hunt antelope. For the first time. For the first time, yeah. Um, I mean, I killed one last <laughs> year, but it was at 270 yards. So it's a lot different. I got to... We got to close about, you know, 200 and 250 yards, 30 yards. Yeah. <laughs> something like that. So, uh, yeah. And then, uh, I'm actually not sure if I'm going to hunt elk or not. Um, it's really up in the air. It'll probably kind of be a last minute thing where I grab an over the counter tag to go with the baby. I didn't get to put in for the draw because I was in Alaska and I forgot to do it earlier. And then we didn't have signal. It was just the whole thing. So I didn't put in for the secondary draw which is probably a good thing because if I'm going to go, it'll probably, like I said, it'll probably be last minute. And then I may still try to grab a leftover muley tag for a private land area that I have a line on for some access uh, out east, which would be really cool. And then obviously I've, I've talked about the Wyoming hunt. I've got a Wyoming buck tag for antelope and a Wyoming mule deer tag. And so I'm going to make a couple trips up to Wyoming, try to fill those tags. So yeah, I'm excited. It's going to be a good time. I'll be going back to Virginia for bow and then at least – once and then probably twice and then hopefully we'll almost definitely make it down to texas at the very least to hunt with caleb and i'm hoping i get a, an invite back to that camp that i went to last fall and then again in february to kill pigs um i think i will but i'm really not sure i haven't heard anything in a while but that's kind of typical for this group it'll kind of be silent and then everybody will start talking again as it gets closer to the hunts sounds like another busy ass fall man yeah. Yeah. I'm trying to get in, in as much as I can. Cause it looks like I want to be deployed next year, deployed quote unquote, uh, right. with, uh, going to a Europe rotation, which I'm already looking at different hunts you can do in Europe, like red stack in Scotland and fallow deer and fucking Romania and shit. Like, I don't think they're going to be like, you know, these, you know, free range, you know, DIY public land hunts. I'm probably going to be killing it on some 10,000 acre in a state, but I mean, whatever it's experience. Yeah. It'll be cool. Oh, hell yeah. I mean, it's a completely different model over there. So, hey, if you play by the rules you have, right? Yeah, exactly. You know, I don't get on some high horse of, you know, moral superiority over the way I hunt versus other people. I played that no. game a little bit when I was younger. And I've out quickly outgrown it. Yeah, different different strokes, man. Different strokes. And then, I, honestly, depending on how things go, I'm considering trying to do a hunt down in Texas. Um, before I leave and the, and I want to talk to you and Evan and see if any of the team that wanted to do it, maybe just go out to one of these, these ranches. And, uh, once again, not going to create, you know, treat it like it's something that's not like these are fucking high fence with these exotics, but you go on a 25,000 acre ranch and they're free range within the ranch, you know, like it's a cool way to get interaction with different species that you're not going to see outside of Africa and then what I like about it is you actually get to eat the animals versus like if you go to Africa, which is also high fence for anybody that doesn't know that um, you're don't get to keep the meat. So like you get to keep the meat and it's just a good way to go kill 10 animals with your bow in a weekend and get a lot of reps at killing. Yeah, that would be, that would be something I'd definitely be interested in. I'm with you. I don't, I don't look down on, on any of any of that style of hunting. And I, I mean, something that, <sighs> I wouldn't want to do it all the time. It wouldn't be my, 
you know, my go-to necessarily, but to do it every once in a while, like say, go get those reps, go chase some critters that you're probably never going to see again, or at least never in any other part of the world short of going to Africa. Hell, sign me up. It'd be entertaining. Yeah, man. And that's, you know, as a, I'm still a pretty young bow hunter, especially with the number of animals I've killed. And it's what I tell folks like that are starting out. It's like, you need to just focus on killing animals, not focus on like these crazy extravagant hunts or focus on the biggest horns or whatever. Cause everybody wants a big trophy because social media creates this huge skewed idea of what we should be doing. And if I can go spend a little money and put some meat in the freezer before I leave for 10 months and go drop a bunch of animals and just like one is a great way to test out broadheads. That's a great way to test out different arrows, different loads. Like you can, you can get recreative and you can get a lot of like data back versus you know, trying to hunt one mule deer, a mule deer with a bow is pretty fucking hard, you know? So like you just, you can try out a bunch of different things. So you have a lot more opportunities. And once again, I think it's about not painting it. Like too many folks try to like pretend like they're like, Oh, because this, my favorite is like the free range exotics in Texas that people always tout. It's like it jumped, it's low fence. Like it jumped over, it got out of the high fence and now it's running around a low fence. It's like, well, what's the fucking difference? Like just be, like most of those animals on those huge ranches aren't going to see the fences anyways. It's, I don't want to kill an animal in a hundred fucking, you know, a hundred acre pen, but I don't know. Maybe I'm just splitting hairs and rationalizing, but I, I don't really see a whole lot of fucking difference. No, I don't either. And I think your point about the reps with the bow is, is a good point that honestly, I haven't, I haven't heard that many people talk about when it comes to the exotics. I mean, hell, I was talking with my wife the other day, telling her how, I'm trying to kill more deer this year than I've ever killed before. And I could tell she was kind of like, well, you know, why? Like what, what was, I'm like, I've only killed one deer with my bow. Granted, you know, I hunted a lot with the bow last year, got one opening day. And then after that, you know, didn't get another, another one down the rest of the season. It's like, I'm trying to kill several deer with my bow this year. If I can, I want to hunt really hard during archery season, early season, and then also, you know, late up in Virginia, I'll bow hunt during late muzzleloader. And because I need the reps, I need to learn how to be a better bow hunter. And exactly. I mean, and hell, I've, I feel fairly, you know, fairly dialed in on whitetail, especially on our family farm, obviously. But I'm not super dialed in with the bow yet. And if I'm going to be wanting to take the bow out west and do things like you said, mule deer or elk or freaking this antelope hunt that you and I are doing, like, it's a little intimidating knowing that I've only got one bow kill under my belt. And so if I can stack up some, some meat in the freezer, just tag a bunch of does, um, hell go, go get some practice in on an exotic in Texas, make a trip down, see Caleb, do something like that. Yeah. I'm all about it. Yeah, man. I mean, it goes more into just shooting your reps, right? Like how you shoot. And this is what frustrates me with a lot of guys with like distant shots, of the rifle, like shooting at a target is nothing like shooting at an animal. You've got far more of an adrenaline dump going. Like you're starting to go like straight reptilian brain. Um, you, you start getting the shakes. Like I, I got typewriter leg like a motherfucker with the first deer I shot with a bow. I didn't get it with the second one. And I, I thought that was interesting. Um, and it, it wasn't like there was like back to back. There was like two years apart. And so I, I don't know. I think getting those reps, getting some of that, you, you start to learn how to calm yourself, do your breathing, keep your adrenaline under control. For sure. And it's interesting because, <clears throat> excuse me, the the first 
or the the one I got with my bow last year, I didn't get the typewriter leg. And I think that was more of a circumstance of the, the actual nature of the hunt because I had a chance to uh, watch that deer for so long before I actually had a shot opportunity at it that I was already like had the adrenaline dump came and went and then, you know, another hour passed and then I took the shot. The only, I'd say the, the second closest call I had with my bow later in the season that I didn't end up having a, having a shot opportunity, but came close. It happened a lot quicker and I did start to get that adrenaline dump and feel it and got all, you know, got that, that leg going real good. So it was, it was the opposite with me, but like you say, just having those reps being in those positions, it's, it's something I, I've, I've, I have identified for myself. I need to, I need to focus on this year. And that's, that's definitely one of my goals. Yeah, man, I'm, I'm excited. It's going to be an awesome season. I'm excited with, you know, how we're going as a team. Um, we're talking about putting a team hunt together for December, uh, location unknown, kind of have an idea, but won't release that, but it, it's going to be cool, man. I, I really love the direction we're going as a brand. We just, uh, are getting ready to drop, you know, the, the big drop on uh, Saturday 17th with all the new gear. Um, first time dropping women's specific gear. We've got four new men's uh, shirts, some shorts, and then a ton of tank top stuff for the, the women as well. So it's going to be, it's going to be cool. I'm, I'm really excited. Seems to be a lot of demand. Everybody seems really excited about it. I've been getting emails and messages asking when it's coming. So 17 July and uh, guys definitely check it out. These are going to be mostly limited runs. So we'll see, like, basically maybe the top two best sellers uh, we'll keep for the future, and then everything else will probably be gone. So if you like something, you got to snag it because there isn't going to be a restock. We don't; these aren't huge orders uh, quantities because we just did so much expansion. We kind of went wide, not deep. So if you like it, grab it, get it quick, and then we're going to be looking. Uh, we're already working on the fall line, so it's looking like that's going to be coming probably October first. We're doing a bunch of designs. Everybody asks about the Tiger Stripe hoodie; it's coming back. Uh, not exactly sure what it's going to look like because we're we're working with uh, a new printer who's going to really help us to kind of grow this and, and to scale. And I'm really excited about that. I just got off a, a meeting with them and I'll release some more details on all that as we go forward. But everything's really growing and continuing and I appreciate the hell out of all the support. Um, we've also got our training programs. Uh, Pete's been working really hard on those and they came together great. I'm actually going to start one um, pretty soon. I said on the other podcast today, but I didn't, uh, it's been pretty busy trying to get caught up coming out of these trips. So I'll probably just get a couple quick workouts in this week and start next week. But the, the programs are awesome. Um, they're perfect. For, they're really scalable. So all tailored for all levels and they're really applicable to backcountry hunting, hunting fitness in general, but also first responder, military, you know, police officer, fire, like anybody that's in one of those like really physically demanding jobs, um, that needs that ne- kind of next level of fitness, of sh- functional strength and endurance. That's really what these programs are built for. So I'm super excited about them as well. But yeah, man, you got any closing thoughts for us? Yeah, I think I think you nailed it. It's it's an exciting time. We've had a we've had a good run here this these past uh, few months. Big things coming. Definitely appreciate the hell out of the support for the podcast. Um, good things coming on that front as well. Looking forward to the continued activities we have planned for the team um it's been an absolute blast and i'm stoked to see the uh the new lines come out i know there have been a whole lot of promos on the old on the old social medias as they say so i know everyone's looking forward to that on saturday and yeah that's all i got man awesome man well i appreciate it and 
as always, I appreciate the hell out of all you guys listen. Um, real quick, do me a huge favor and go leave us a rating and review um, on Apple Podcasts if you guys utilize Apple. So just to kind of explain that, like as we continue to get sponsors and, and that we grow this podcast, that's really what they look like. And it also helps us within the, the algorithm on um, Apple itself for suggestions. So it'll, the more ratings and the more reviews we get, that really pushes us up those algorithms. And so um, honestly, based on our listens, we're doing pretty well for like the hunting sphere. Uh, we're, we're probably like top 25 hunting podcasts, which is wild to me. But if we continue, we, we can get pushed up the algorithms, we'll, we'll grow even more. And that that's going to help a lot. And then um, definitely, if you guys like our merch, go drop us a review on the website. And then subscribe to the podcast what the subscription does is it gives it it automatically will download it for you so it's ready to go and it'll show up on like the top of your uh uh you know your little list there of of episodes so you won't miss an episode what that also does is that gives us credit for a listen and so even if you get behind we'll get those quick quick listen credits which really helps us as well with the algorithm so once again if you guys you know really want to support us folks are always asking what they can do that's huge those ratings reviews and subscription to the podcast but as always thank you guys so much